Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, George, welcome back and uh, good morning. I'm sitting here in the Sea Ranch on the coast. It's just beautiful here. You're in San Francisco. You've been doing the pre- and post-game shows. Uh, nice bulk of time there with some really exciting games lately. Yeah, it's, it's been great. We've had a, a good win streak uh, other than the last couple games, uh, but it's been some some good teams with Oakland and now the, the uh, Giants-Dodgers rivalry. So it's been great to be out here for some meaningful games with a really fun team to watch that's in first place. Yeah, that atmosphere for the A Series, that was special. I mean, they finally were able to have you know almost a full house there at Oracle Park, and uh, just the way the fans were reacting. It's been a long time since we've heard that. I mean, it had to energize the players a little bit. I'm sure it, it definitely in, in increased the emotion tremendously. Johnny Cueto stuff on that opening night uh, with all the fans against Oakland. Uh, his stuff was was very good. He was it was a chilly night. It was actually my first time back in a major league ballpark as a former player as opposed to a current player. So it was pretty <laughs> special for me. We did pregame from the uh, center field um, uh, bullpen area right next to the visiting bullpen. But uh, it was definitely an electric a- atmosphere. Johnny had some good stuff. He had some good carry on his fastball, and he thrives under those types of situations anywhere. So it was a lot of a lot of fun. Uh, being back at the ballpark and seeing all the fans and and people saying hello and just the electricity and the atmosphere you could really feel. What was going through your mind? Because I mean, you go back to a place where you had a lot of success and you know, being there's nothing like being a major league baseball player. And now you're going back in a different role. I mean, when you first stepped on the field, what went through your mind? Well, I, I didn't actually get to step on the field. I, I went through the concourse and we went to the center field area where we were going to be shooting pregame. Ah. And as we were walking and I got my first glimpse of the field again, all I wanted to do was just run back and jump on it <laughs> and, uh, you know, play catch and do all the running and things that I have done hundreds and hundreds of times uh, over my six years with the Giants. But it was difficult. It was de- it was definitely kind of a whirlwind of emotions. Um, uh all in all, though, it, it was good to be back and see the guys. I would have loved to. I saw Sergio Romo and Yusmero Petit because they were taking batting practice while, uh, when I got there. So it, it was a lot of fun to see them. It would have been great to get to be able to get there a little earlier to see some of the guys that, that I played with and, and, you know, Buster, Belt, Brandon Crawford, Johnny. Um, but it, it was it was a lot of fun. Definitely a, lo- a lot of mixed emotions. But it, it was great kind of ripping the Band-Aid off and being back in a major league stadium. And there's no better place to be than Oracle Park uh, to, to make that first appearance back. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, you speak about uh, electrifying the crowd. I mean, I mentioned the atmosphere. And when you see Steven Duggar score from first base to win the game, the emotions there for that kind of a win against the Oakland A's, uh, that was one of the major highlights, if not the highlight of the season. I, I know that he's fast, but seeing him go around the bases, he looked like a track star. He was really fast. Yeah, you know, in those situations, I think he was thinking score the whole way. So he was there was no stopping him. If Lotus would have put up the stop sign, I would imagine Duggar would have ran right through it. 
because he had that he had that Casali where where it landed and, and where the ball was. He had it right in front of him. So he he had he had scoring all the way as soon as that ball was hit. So we interviewed him actually in the post game, and he 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 took probably five six minutes to just catch his breath with how much he was chugging towards home plate. But he's a, he's a very fast guy. We've known that about him from. Uh, the beginning when he was drafted, how he was an outfielder who could do a lot of special things out there. But his bat has really come around nicely. It's been really fun to watch his, um, you know, learning at the plate and, the, and the, the, the development that he's had and him being able to really have a good approach and staying in the strike zone as opposed to doing some of the chasing that he had been doing prior to this year. Is that the main difference? Because, yeah, I mean, I remember watching him coming up through the minor leagues, and you always had high hopes because he has so many tools and the speed, and he had some injuries along the way that kind of slowed him down. But is that the main thing as far as just looking at pitches, swinging at strikes? Uh, because, you know, there were also times where Mike Kruko talked about how, you know, he couldn't really get around on the inside fastball. I mean, did he just work on that, you think, so that that could be a, a bigger part of his uh, approach at the plate? I think not, that's not only what they've done with Duggar, but I think they've done that with the Giants lineup all the way through. I mean, Brandon Crawford's another great example of that, of guys whose whose approaches have just changed a little bit. What I've been noticing from these guys is they're really, really staying inside the zone a lot more. They're not chasing these pitches. If a breaking ball starts at the bottom of the zone, they're doing a really good job of just kind of watching it and spitting on it as it breaks into the dirt. And they're being they're they're able to really hit the mistakes that are made in the zone, which I think has a lot to do with the offense that they've been uh, showing the last probably month and a half with all the home runs, with hitting the balls hard, hitting those mistakes over the plate really hard for doubles and homers. It's been really fun to watch for all of them. Duggar, to me, has really simplified it. He really just kind of has done a good job of staying in the zone and swinging at pitches that he can handle. Yeah, I mean, he's been huge for the Giants. And you mentioned Crawford, another home run on Monday against the Dodgers, uh, 444 feet. So since they've been tracking it, that's the longest one he's hit. I mean, he absolutely crushed it, and that's not uncommon now. I mean, he is up there looking like a slugger. Uh, We've talked about the changes he's made. I mean, a little more open stance, swinging at better pitches, all that kind of stuff. It, It just seems like the confidence, too, in being more of a power hitter is there for him, too. Do you agree? You know, I don't really think that he's swinging uh, for for more power. I think that he's just getting his foot down and he's doing a better job of hitting pitches that he can handle, like we said with Duggar. Uh, Brandon Crawford's always had a ton of juice. When he puts it on the sweet spot, he can drive it to right field, center field, or left field. He can hit it oppo with the best of them because he's got that great flat swing path. Um, And yesterday's home run with Bauer, he went up there, oh, oh, pitch, got his foot down, was looking for a heater, and he got one thigh high that he was able to really drive. Uh, but Brandon Crawford has always had this ability. I think the difference is is he, he's obviously feeling good and strong and healthy, but his approach has gotten much better at the plate, in my opinion. It's swinging at pitches that he can really drive, fouling off pitches that are probably pitcher's pitches. Um, you know, he had that slider that he flared into um, uh, over the shortstop off of Manaya the other day. He's doing a great job of staying on these pitches, letting them get deep, and then reacting to them. Uh, by either driving it or just putting a swing good enough to get a knock somewhere. And and it's really, really uh, great to watch him have the success that he's having this year. We'll have more with former Giants pitcher George Contos right after this. 
When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415-453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Let's talk a little bit about what happened in the Monday night game in L.A. against the Dodgers. All of these games against the Dodgers, of course, are going to be so magnified with the way things are in the standings, and it's so much fun. Uh, and, you know, it comes down to some key plays, especially the Mike Talkman play at second. Let's talk about that. First of all, I mean, I know on Twitter there were some people criticizing Talkman for going to second. I can't criticize him. I think that was a great move. I mean, the ball gets away from Bellinger just enough that you think he can make it. You've got to get into scoring position with that potential tying run. And then there's the call as well, which I want to get your opinion on. So, you know, I, I, I can't fault him either. I, I'll never criticize uh, a player um, for being aggressive, for trying to, for trying to, you know, give his team a chance to score a run. You know, the play was in front of him. Bellinger overran it a little bit with the ball having a little kind of funky side spin on it. And, you know, maybe it was just a hard angle to tell how far it actually got away from Cody from where Talkman was. But I like the aggressiveness. I'm never going to fault a player um, for, for, for being out there and trying to get the extra base when it's a, a you know, tough bang, bang play. Um, I thought he was safe. He definitely evaded the first tag. And I thought that had the initial call been safe, they would have left him as safe because I never saw. A, uh, a clip where he he some part of his body was not on the bag while the, there was a, a tag applied. So I think it was just a tough call. And, you know, you, you got to just love his hustle and love his aggressiveness. And, you know, it, it is what it is. Sometimes that's how the chips fall. I thought that the replay showed that he was safe because you could see him get his hand in there before the tag. Uh, and I thought he stayed on the bag, but I also thought that when you saw it live, if you didn't have replay, I'd probably call him out because I think that was normally what you would say, you know, through all of our lives watching baseball. The ball was there, you know, looks like he's going to be out. He's just out. But when you're watching a replay like we all do now, uh, to me, that would be safe. But, you know, it is tough when it has to be conclusive. That makes it that much more difficult. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just said it. it's got to be 100 percent conclusive and even though I thought it was on the replay, the overall play happening at full speed, the ball beat him by a good amount. Chris Taylor, um, I think made, you know, not with these replays and guys are adjusting their slides. You gotta, you have to almost go out as a, as an infielder and try and get this guy before he gets to the bag, because you've right. seen that play with Talkman. You've seen Javier Baez, you've seen uh, Tatis Jr. All these guys are evading tags by just kind of, sliding and you know contorting their bodies differently so it's it's tough right now to get these plays right when guys have adjusted and adapted to uh the ability to have the replay and getting around these tags by the way i love the way talkman plays the game and i see his value i mean he's made a couple of incredible catches he saved that game against the dodgers earlier this season it's a tough decision though when you think about him and his roster status i mean i know he doesn't have any options so 
if you are going to you know, not have, have him on this roster, then he's going to be gone, and it's tough to lose him when you traded a, a good relief pitcher for him. But what do you think? It's, it seems like every time somebody's ready to come off the injured list or there's a roster decision to be made, his name is going to come up, and it's crunch time for him. He's hitting under 200, so it's almost like you know, there's a lot of pressure on him to try to produce, and I know he's working on a little bit of a swing change right in the middle of the season. That's not always easy. Yeah, you know, I think it's just the, the what had you done for me lately mentality really plays uh, in here big time, right? If, if he would go go out and have a, a great week where he hits 400 for a week and is really putting together good at-bats and, and doing things on the field like we're accustomed to seeing him doing outside of this little slump he's in, I think all of the, uh, well, his roster spot is the one to go, all of that talk kind of fades because this is a what have you done for me lately game. Um and I think, you know, all he needs is a couple of these hits to fall, and that, that builds a little bit of confidence and helps you buy into the changes that you're trying to make. So there's no doubt that Mike Talkman is a, a very good and serviceable Major League Baseball player. Um, hopefully he can continue to put together some good at-bats. I mean, yesterday, the one against Kenley Jensen, he did a good job of getting three in a 3-0 count and fought off a, a cutter in on his head. And, you know, he, he did a, a really good job there. So I think he... Um, He's definitely serviceable, and, and I hope he can figure it out before any kind of moves get made. Because, like you said, he he is a good a good player, and he will be lost if he hits the waiver wire. Yeah, there's a lot of depth in the outfield, and it's it's tough. I mean, it's really hard to ever send Lamont Wade down because that guy's swinging the bat well. You love seeing him uh, at the top of the lineup, especially against right-handed pitchers. It, it was really a shame when he had to go down, but fortunately, he he did come up. But unfortunately, it's because of an injury. You know, Brandon Belt is out right now. Yeah, Lamont Wade has done a great job, and he's really playing with a ton of a ton of confidence. You know, he was doing that before he was sent down, but he's really starting to believe that he belongs in the lineup every day at the major league level. And he, the the, the more that he contributes, the harder it's going to be for them to justify not having him in the lineup every single day. So it's been great to see his development and his confidence, and and him being able to do the things that he's doing. By the way, you said, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? And that kind of played in to what happened, I think, with Gabe Kapler and his decision to use Casale as a pinch hitter late in the game against the Dodgers, where I think a lot of people, especially on Twitter again, are saying, where's Dubon? Where's Slater? How come those guys aren't pinch hitting? Casale's overall batting average isn't what you would want for a pinch hitter, but he's been swinging the bat well. He's had a lot of big hits lately. Those are the tough decisions to make as a manager, I think. I might have gone the same way. I like going with the hot hand. What do you think? You know, th- there are a couple things that, that you know, I I kind of view. I, I, I never think that you pinch hit your backup catcher and ruin and uh, and ruin that roster spot, right? Yeah. God forbid something happens to Buster. Right. And then you kind of have yourself in a little bit of a squirrely situation. Um, and nothing to nothing to take away from uh, Kirk Casale because he has come up with some big hits and he's done a great job. He is a little bit more strikeout prone than, you know, for me, Austin Slater. I know Austin Slater has had a little bit of uh, – a rough go at it lately, but I still think he's a guy who goes up there and makes contact and will put the ball somewhere out in the field for at least a better opportunity as opposed to, you know, swinging the bat and coming up empty handed and that being the way the inning ends. So, you know, I'm, I'm not the manager. Those are not the, the decisions I have to make. Luckily, I think that whoever you throw up there at that point in time has a decent shot of, of contributing. Um, but when you take your backup catcher out of the mix there, God forbid something happens to Buster and you're kind of left in, in a little bit of a jam. 
By the way, Buster, uh, <laughs> that call in his first at-bat on the strike, I mean, that wasn't even close. I don't know what Angel Martinez was seeing there, and, and I hate to just complain about balls and strikes, but I, I don't know how he could call that a strike, you know? I mean, that's just crazy. Well, I think I think the, the running joke now is whenever anybody sees Angel Hernandez <laughs> trending on Twitter, uh, that they, they don't even question why it is anymore because of, of, uh, of calls like that. I just, you know, we talked about it in the post game show last night that first of all, Buster Posey, a guy who's going to the hall of fame in his first at bat, you call him out on strikes on a pitch that is that blatantly off. I mean, that was six inches outside. That was just such a horrendous call. And what, what you do now is you, you don't allow the hitters to settle into any sort of strike zone because they now have to protect something that's six inches off the plate. Cause they assume that you're going to be calling that a strike all night. So, you know, I mean, so I, I, I'm not sure that I've ever come across somebody else who has had um, good things to say about Angel Hernandez's strike zone. Um, but I'll tell you what, when I was a player, he was always nice to me. He always said hello. Uh, I want to say that my strike zone with him was actually pretty good. Um, not sure how or why, but, you know, I, I have nothing really bad to say against him from, from my personal experiences. But when you watch these things on the broadcasts and during the games, you're just like, what are these guys looking at? What about when he's looking at Bauer? I mean, I understand that Trevor Bauer, you know, he's coming out of the game. You want to check his cap. You're supposed to do that. And you check his glove. But he is examining his hands. He almost looked like a doctor. I mean, it kind of reminded me of when you first went through TSA after 9-11 and you felt a little violated. You know, you're getting checked and you knew it was for the greater good. But I don't know, George. I mean, it's just it's getting ridiculous. I don't know if it'll calm down a little bit as far as the way the umpires are checking these pitchers. We've already seen one player that has been suspended, and that one is uh, definitely controversial with Mariners pitcher Hector Santiago. He was the first player ejected under this new foreign substance enforcement. He says he had rosin and sweat, so they had to send his glove to New York to look at it. I mean, it really is getting to be kind of silly in a lot of ways. I know they want to crack down, but I'm not sure they're doing it in the right way. It's not getting ridiculous or silly. It's been silly from the first day they implemented all this. Right. Because it's been done so backwards and so just amateur hour when you're talking about Major League Baseball, the best players in the world. You know, 780 players in the world play this. And this is how, you know, they're being treated coming off the fields because of uh, the inability of of MLB to kind of do this in the proper manner, in my opinion. But, you know, I mean, first of all, Rosin mixed with sweat repeatedly will get sticky. I know that from experience. I mean, double bubble that's in the, the dugouts that you chew while you're on the field. If you were to lick your fingers and grab the rosin, that gets sticky. So are they going to ban bubble gum next? I mean, <laughs> this is this this has just been so very handled kind of poorly that now it's turned into a little bit of a laughing stock. I mean, Angel Hernandez was literally searching Trevor Bauer's fingers. Like, what are you going to find? Like, use your eyes. There's nothing on there. Like, what are you doing? I mean, it gets, it does get sticky after a while. And then with Hector Santiago, they're saying that you can't put rosin on your glove hand. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, when I was coming in baseball games, I would take the rosin and dab it on both of my forearms. So I had it on there. And then when I would get a new ball, I would rub my forearms and try to get a little bit of grip. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. I mean, Garrett Cole, was almost pleading with MLB in a post-game interview. I think uh, after he started against the Red Sox the other day, he was saying, like, guys are going to get hurt. I'm throwing 100 miles an hour. 
who who wants 100 miles an hour to get away from me and get get somebody hit up near the, the head area? I mean, this is, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I hope nobody does get hurt. I think that the way this has been handled is is a little bit goofy. I mean, how can you tell somebody not to wear sunscreen during a day game in 100 degree heat, right? Like sunscreen mixed with rosin gets a little sticky. You know, what happens, God forbid, if somebody comes down with, you know, some sort of, you know, skin condition or something because they weren't allowed allowed to wear sunscreen, then MLB has a lawsuit on their hand because they're not allowed to wear it. So, I mean, how, where where's the line? Yeah, I think the unfair advantage, George, comes from when you take it to the extreme and you're using spider tack or something like that. Look, in the NFL, when they had stick them and they took it to an extreme, then it became ridiculous. You saw like Lester Hayes with the Oakland Raiders. He could stick out one hand and it would just, the ball would just stick to his hand. Yes, that's the extreme. That's what umpires should be looking for, not just a little stickiness here and there because you do need to get a grip on the baseball. Agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree. And I agree with, with what you're saying as well. You know, if you're using something to grip, get a better grip on the baseball that has a little stick, I think that that should be completely allowed. I mean, the hitters have pine tar. So why are the pitchers not allowed to grip the ball? I think when you when you find a substance that you're using to blatantly increase your metrics, which will increase the spin rate or the the, the way your stuff plays, if it'll play your stuff up, that I think is where you've crossed the line. And I think that, to your point, should be policed and that should be taken care of. But when you just go, okay, nobody uses anything, I guarantee you this changes the first time somebody gets hit up near the head at 97 miles an hour. And MLB's like, whoa, whoa, we have a problem here. We've done this wrong. Yeah. All right. I wanted to ask you uh, here near the end of the podcast uh, about something that's been sort of on my mind, watching catchers and their target. Uh, Today's catchers are being taught – to keep their mitt down low and then kind of lift it up as the pitch is coming in. And I'm curious as a pitcher what you think about a target. I mean, I've heard Mike Kruko talk about how he he wanted that target there so that he could see it all the way through his delivery. What is the advantage for the catchers, and how do you think that affects a pitcher as far as catchers keeping the mitt down and then sort of lifting it up uh, when the pitch comes in because they're trying to get a better framing for the umpire? Uh, well, I'm I'm in agreement with Kruk on that. I always love to see the target up earlier rather than later, just because I I wanted something to focus on. I wanted a target. Um, the reason why a lot of times they do that is if there's guys on second base to not give away where the pitch is going to be. Right. So there's no sign stealing and signaling to the hitter where the pitch might be going. Uh, so that's been typically why uh, uh, the glove would be lifted up late. Um, I was never a fan of it though. I would always tell the catchers or if it was Buster or, or, or Hector Sanchez or Eli Whiteside, whoever it was, I was like, give it to me a little bit earlier. Like, I don't care. I'll hold the runner. I'll, I'll give a couple looks. I need to see the target. So I know where it's going. Cause my pitches were very, um, uh, it was important where I was starting them, not necessarily where they were ending because I had a lot of movement on most of the things I threw other than my forcing. Um, but I needed a starting point. I needed a point to throw the ball, to aim at. So I could have it start somewhere to where it might want to end up. But yeah. I definitely needed to see where that target was. Yeah, so I think that makes it kind of you know difficult. What about the relationship, too, with the catchers? Because you know you had some really good catchers. Right now, with Buster and Casale, the pitchers, uh, I would think they're kind of spoiled. These guys are great catchers. Uh, that relationship has to be pretty important. I don't know if you ever ran into one where it wasn't going so well and, uh, and it really affects the way you're pitching. 
Yeah, to your point, I mean, the guys that, that I've played with and the guys now, I mean, you know, I've never met Kirk Stanley in person, but he seems I've spoken to him on, uh, on the on the post game show when we've interviewed him. He seems like a great guy, loves working with uh, with the pitchers and they love working with him. And I think all it is is a dialogue. I mean, Buster Posey, a guy who's, you know, headed to the Hall of Fame, he still has a dialogue with his pitchers. And, and ultimately, the pitcher needs to feel comfortable on the mound if he's going to be able to do his job properly with the guy who's sitting behind the plate. I mean, the guy who touches the ball every single play of the game, because it starts with him, has to be the one who's in full control. And Buster and Casali, Buster I know from experience, they're so good at just kind of being the neck to the pitcher being the head. You know what I mean? He's the guy who's guiding it. He's the guy who's, who's making sure things are going the way they're supposed to be going by putting down the right fingers and giving the right signs behind the plate. So, uh, it's a great it's a it's a great dynamic, a very important dynamic. And luckily, the Giants have two guys who have clearly shown they are very capable of doing a great job handling the pitching staff. And I know there's a trust factor, but when you have a catcher putting down signs, and if it's more often than not not the sign you want, and you're shaking them off a lot, what kind of a friction does that cause? Or is that just kind of normal? I mean, hey, I really want to throw this today. He doesn't, you know, he's kind of not on the same page today. You're not going to blame him. How, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think that it's it's definitely a game by game relationship. There are there are certain, you know, Buster and I, for example, Buster caught me so many times and. He knew he knew my strengths. He knew what I like to do. So th- it was very rare that I shook Buster off. And there were some times where I shook him off and he'd, he'd call the same pitch again. And we had that <laughs> same trust, that great trust where I was like, all right, Buster really wants that pitch. He's called it twice in a row now. I trust that he knows what he's saying. And that allowed me to be confident in throwing that pitch, even though it wasn't my first selection in my brain when I stood on the mound trying to get the signs. Um, and it goes day by day. There were some times with catchers where they'd call stuff and we'd be not on the same page and I'd have to really work on calling my own game that day. Then the next time I had them, we were on the same page again. So it is really a day by day kind of variable thing that it, it can change every single outing you're out there. Well, I was reading the Bill Madden, Tom Seaver book, which is great, by the way. And he had a story in there about how Tom Seaver and his catcher were not on the same page. He's shaking him off every pitch. So Mark Hill was the catcher of the White Sox back in 1985. He came out to the mound and he said, you know, hey, you're shaking me off every time. And, and they're kind of arguing about it. And finally, Hill said, well, you know, you want to call your, all, your own game. And they agreed they're not going to use signs the rest of the game. Seaver's just going to throw whatever he wants. So, I mean, you know, that would be pretty dangerous. A catcher has to know what's coming. But, you know, just brings up you know Joey Bart and thinking about a young guy when he comes up he's the younger guy learning so it takes time to get that trust with a pitcher who's the veteran guy absolutely and we saw that last year you know uh, mainly the one that sticks out of my mind is Joey Bart and Johnny Cueto Johnny's a guy who knows exactly what he's doing and it takes time and it takes trust and it takes a lot of repetitions to figure out what Johnny likes to throw and for Joey Bart to get used to what it's like catching at the major league level with a guy who's been in the big leagues for 13 years. I mean, all of this stuff is very relationship and rapport based and all that takes is repetitions. All right. We talked about how great the giants are doing. It's the first time since 1938, the giants have beaten every other team to the 50 win mark. So this team is coming to the ballpark, figuring it's going to win every night. I know you were on some of those great giants teams. Can you tell us just the difference in your attitude when you go to the ballpark you're driving in there and you're thinking about how great things are going versus the opposite when your team is whether you know not in contention or you know maybe just kind of an average 500 team compared to the way the Giants are playing right now 
Well, when you're when you're on a roll and playing baseball the way the Giants are right now, I, I don't want to say the game is easy because it, it never is easy. But you go in and you're in a good mood. You have a lot of confidence. Uh, every win that they get, every time that they continue to hold first place, they build more and more confidence and they get momentum. And momentum is a real thing. And it's immeasurable, in my opinion, because it's a mindset. Um, and they're going in every day and, you know, they're going to they're going to take away from last night. Hey, you know what? We lost a tough one. We're going to come back today and we're going to get this one. And that's the makings of a great team. That's what all of our teams that I was on had. And that's what it seems like this team has as well. And this team seems to have sort of a chip on its shoulder, too, because nobody picked them. We've talked about that a few times on this podcast. And everybody's talked about how the Giants are a surprise team. Maybe they're feeding off that a little bit. Uh, I, I think, to be honest, they're, they're, they're toning all the noise out. They could care less what, what everyone's saying. They don't they don't are not they're not watching these shows. And they're in a position, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, of of power in the fact that everyone is kind of surprised and not expecting the Giants to be in there. So it takes all the pressure off of them, and all they can do is just go out and continue playing the good baseball they've been playing. And this is a great matchup on Tuesday. Kevin Gosman against Walker Bueller. I mean, that sounds like a World Series-type matchup right there. Oh, it's going to be a fun one. Two great pitchers, two of the better pitchers in the league. Kevin Gaussman, in, in my opinion, is the second best pitcher in all of baseball behind Jacob DeGrom right now. So it's going to be a fun one. Absolutely. George, great job again on the pregame and postgame. And always appreciate you here on this podcast. Uh, enjoy your time in San Francisco and the game against the Dodgers. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot, Joe. That's former Giants relief pitcher George Contos. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.